happy new year and thank you for choosing to kick off 2024 with the Not The Top 20 podcast. This is a podcast all about the EFL, the greatest football leagues in the world. It is sponsored by Betfair. It's me, Ali Maxwell. It's him, George Ellick. On today's episode, we're going to be recapping two rounds of fixtures that took place just before New Year and on New Year's Day. We will wave goodbye to a busy festive period where EFL clubs have played four games in less than two weeks. Quite a few big news stories to cover as well. Hey, mate. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. How are you? Very good. Feeling refreshed. And ready to go for the new year um, after a, a nice Christmas period. And yeah, happy to watch uh, a game of football yesterday live in the flesh at the Valley. Yeah, I mean, what a start to the year for you because you achieved something that every match-going fan Correct. wants to do at least once in their lifetime. Yeah, so it was about 20 minutes in. We were 1-0 down. Charlton had us under the pump, to be frank. We're starting the pod with auto analysis this one. Blackett Taylor stood the ball up to the back post where... Idris Khan, who was there, who headed it. And Kieran Brown kind of did a very good headed block and it flew behind the goal into the crowd and it was flying towards me. And rather than do what most people do and just catch it or like palm it, I got up and I headed it. I didn't I didn't get the cleanest. I think I was trying to head it forward, but it, it kind of deflected off my head and flew away in somewhere else into the um, into the crowd. But yeah, I was absolutely buzzing and actually what i would say feel like in the in the seconds and minutes afterwards like what what does it feel like my brother turned to me and just went did you head that and i was like yeah and he was like oh cool i was like yeah i know but it's quite funny i found the clip and i sent it to my dad and my brother this morning and my dad uh, amusingly replied saying you probably saved my life which is quite a nice thing <laughs> given he was next to me if the board had flown <laughs> him in the face right so over exaggeration and, and dramatic yeah. effect runs in the family all i would say you know for anyone who plays play cricket out there like sometimes you get behind like a fastball or like or a bowling machine, I'd say in particular, and sometimes you can be quite taken aback by the pace on the ball when it doesn't look that that fast from watching it from elsewhere. It was a bit like that where like you watch it back and it feels quite loopy. I felt like I was absolutely flying at me at the time. The clip is amazing. It, it's really quick reflexes. Thank you very much. And it's just like I wouldn't say it's it's not come off the middle of your forehead, but has it? It, it travels. You've, you've you, you've cleared your lines. Yeah. Put it that way. And yeah. that's what that's the first job of defending is Thank clear. You very much. Get it out the box. <laughs> yeah. Um, amazing start to the year for you. <laughs> we need to talk very briefly about uh, you know Mark the the turn of the year when it comes to the podcast uh, and and not the top twenty more generally because we are famously not just a podcast anymore. And this time last year, we spoke fairly openly to you guys about what we were calling the year of expansion. We felt, particularly having lost all of our TV work, that it was pretty important for us in order to be able to continue doing this as our jobs to quite aggressively expand. So I guess my question is, firstly, how do you think 2023, the year of expansion went? Pretty good. I mean, our first like port of call when it came to expansion was to try and make loads of YouTube videos, and we went hard <laughs> at it. And then we finally managed to like hit all the the monetization thresholds. We churned out some January transfer content, which we were like pretty humbled and, and happy with how well it went in terms of pure views. And then we looked at how much the money was that was bringing in, and it turned out that actually hiring kit and getting people who can video edit and the rest of it to make YouTube videos, they only get a couple of thousand views isn't really worth it so it did off to the best start but i think we both owe um a big thanks to substack sam because certainly ntt20.com and the long shot have grown beyond i would say our wildest dreams very quickly where 
I think if you, you know, if we go back a year and you show me the numbers from these two uh, in terms of both free and paid subscribers, I'd have been amazed. So thank you to everybody that is subscribing either free or paid. And it's definitely given us, you know, a bit of inspiration, I think, to try and audio coverage that it deserves, hopefully over the last, you know, best part of a decade, then we'll start trying to give the written coverage it deserves as well over the next future season so that's been really exciting so really happy with that and and i would implore anyone if you do listen to this regularly and you haven't checked it out do have a look because i, I think we're doing things a bit different on there and it's going pretty well yeah i'm glad you brought up Substack, sam i mean we're really chuffed at how the team has expanded you know we're really pleased to be working with matt on our socials who's been absolutely incredible over the last year dana as well sam you mentioned but hugh his contributions to ntt20.com have been amazing as have dan and, and tom who work on the weekend notes and so many others. So uh, we're really excited about the expansion of NTT20.com. That's the big thing for us last year. So thank you for putting up with a lot of plugs uh, and thank you to all of you who pay to subscribe or who are free subscribers. So we're really excited for our January transfer window plans. We've got a daily bulletin that's landing in the inbox of every NTT20.com subscriber every single day, detailing every single done deal and not just the, the basic information either, but also uh, a bit of contextual information, a bit of player analysis, maybe a look at how it might fit within the squad or why a club might have made a certain signing and a bit of opinion on there as well. That's ntt20.com. Okay, let's recap those two rounds of fixtures we've had in the last week. Next Monday, we're going to do a sort of state of play mid-season predictions episode. We're going to look at the league tables, sort of zoom out a little bit, look at different parts of, of all three league tables, uh, see where we're at and make some predictions to keep us entertained over the next few months. But now let's start in the championship and why don't we go newsy to kick off, George, because uh, not long after we arrived in the office today, Birmingham City sacked Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney. The decision to, to sack Eustace and bring in Rooney looked at the time uh, like it was a huge risk and that wasn't reflected in any way by the messaging from the club when Rooney was appointed. It was not, you know, we understand this is a, a difficult decision or whatever. It was, we are doing this. We are bringing in this incredible person, this amazing foresight. And this is, you know, to, to kind of paraphrase, but to quote, like this is going to be a defining moment for the club, you know? So there wasn't, there was this real bullishness that this was going to be a success, which I think combined with the overperformance to start the season where Rooney took over a club in a playoff position when preseason expectations were certainly not that lofty. It was all a bit of a recipe for disaster, especially when it came with like promises about playing style where like you know, to appoint a manager and promise a complete shift in playing style and then sack them after 82 days, regardless of result, just shows a complete lack of understanding about what it take or about what a managerial appointment is in itself. Like the you know, Rooney's statement afterwards after he was sacked, you know, alluding to the fact that he didn't feel like he was given enough time is completely fair. That isn't to say that he was the right appointment. That isn't to say that by uh sacking him and if you look at the bookmaker prices, you know, Steve Cooper's currently the favourite to to take over from Rooney. And I've got no doubt that if Steve Cooper does take over from Rooney, Birmingham will probably finish on more points this season than they would have done had Rooney stayed. But even so, it's just a total shambles uh, the way that this has been has been managed and, and I feel sorry for Rooney himself like I, I don't necessarily think he is a particularly capable head coach or manager I don't think there's any reason why he can't do a good job in a, at a club in the future I think the more time goes on the more you probably think that Liam Rossini had quite a big role to play in 
the successful times that Rooney did see at Derby because it wasn't all bad even though of course they did end up getting relegated they made a hell of a, uh, a fist of trying to stay up after that points deduction and he succeeded in keeping him up the season before so um, yeah I mean it's just been a, a, a complete rest uh, sorry a complete disaster from, from start to finish and it'll be interesting to see who they move to bring in and how the messaging does change because as is often the case you know the, the people that make the decisions keep their job the, the, the decision itself in Rooney is the person who is uh, is cast aside um, it'll be interesting to see if if those at, at Birmingham learn from their mistakes and learn from um, not only the appointment process but also the way that you speak to fans the way you talk about appointments and the way that you don't prom- over promise and under deliver at the top of the championship, uh, we had Leicester. They won both games since we last spoke. They are playing incredibly well at the moment. Uh, eight wins in ten. And the two games that they didn't win, they both were injury time equalisers. That was against Wednesday, which in fairness, Wednesday did deserve. And that one against Ipswich the other day, which again, as discussed, Ipswich had played pretty well in the second half. It was still a double deflection uh, that, that stopped Leicester from winning that game. It means that they need 14 wins from 20 games to break the championship points record. They are well on course if they can keep it going. It was just a three-point gap to Ipswich in second. It's now 10. And it's a 13-point gap to third place, which is currently Southampton with 20 points to go. Is this the best that Leicester have been all season? Have they improved on where they were to start the season? Because to me, they look more controlled. It seems to me there are fewer examples where they look like they're quite vulnerable uh, and certainly when it comes to putting the ball in the back of the net pretty much as good as ever yeah I mean I think the measure of Leicester is that most games you see them having on paper you just basically accept that they're going to win them before they even get there like with them with the exception of Sheffield Wednesday they do the one caveat I would put to what you just said there is they have unquestionably just gone through a very easy run of games when you look at it like that's not taking anything away from the performances themselves they played Huddersfield who are one of the poorest teams in the league and um, one of the favourites for relegation they played Rotherham who are the poorest team in the league and favourites to finish bottom they played Birmingham who are one of the most out of form teams in the league have gone from fifth down to the brink of the relegation zone in the last few weeks they played Millwall who at the time uh, this is before Millwall's better run were going through a, a really poor run of form so like they have played you know, and you look at the the one kind of top end team they played in this in this mini run, and that was Ipswich, where they they were unable to get the win, and they didn't create too much. So, I think there is a part of this where Leicester have been through a favourable run of fixtures. And if you look back to the last time they had a more difficult run, they did lose back to back games against against Leeds and Borough. But it, I just don't think it really matters. Basically, like they yes, they are the best team in the league. They they are probably going to win the league. Like they do have Coventry away and Ipswich at home next up um, with. Borough on the horizon, Leeds on the horizon, uh, and even Watford and Stoke, no easy games either. So they are about to embark on a more difficult run. And given that Southampton, Leeds, to a lesser extent at the moment, Ipswich, are still operating at a pretty high level, it wouldn't be a huge shock to me if they don't extend their lead further in that time. And they might be dropping points fairly soon. But when you look at the... you know, it, it's, it's mad how this season we've, we seem to have already gone through four periods where Ian Acho... Vardy, Dakar, and now Cannon have kind of just come to the fore and been their, their main marksman and, and, and operating really, really well. Like it was great to see Cannon starting here, getting his first two goals for the club. He should be a massive asset for them, I think, if and when Leicester go up next season, given that the you know, given that Vardy is getting a bit older and, and certainly Dakar hasn't really done it uh, at that level for them before last season. I think Cannon can have a, a huge part to play in their in their future. 
Um, so yeah, maybe they are um, certainly from an attacking out uh, standpoint, and their their attacking numbers are so good, and their general underlying numbers are very good. And um, they are, but you know that the the quality of the opposition has to play a part in that, and I think when you have a look at it, it makes sense that this would be their best run. Yeah, just beneath them, uh, let's sort of tie Ipswich Saints and Leeds together, George, before we move down the table Ipswich have drawn both games nil-nil since we last spoke they've been hit with some injury issues in particular George Hurst who's out long term Leif Davis is out Uh, Burgess is going away with Australia uh, to the Asia Cup and they just have stuttered there's no getting away from it three draws and one defeat in their last four games Uh, their cushion has been cut to three Southampton since we last spoke uh, have got four points from two games a 2-1 win against Argyle where Albeit they had the better of the game, they still certainly gave Argyle a few opportunities to score. One opportunity where Argyle took it uh, and the linesman's flag went up, but the goal should have stood. Argyle should have been 1-0 up in that game. Southampton scored within 30 seconds. So a little rub of the green there, albeit who can say exactly how that game would have gone uh, had the goal been given. Uh, And then a one-all draw at Norwich where uh, they had the lead but gave it up. And then Leeds, George, they lost 1-0 to West Brom on Friday night, um, that meant it was back-to-back defeats. They'd lost to Preston just before then. I, I saw a, a handful of Leeds fans giving it, well, we can wave goodbye to any automatic promotion. Let's just focus on the playoffs. Oh, but we always botched the playoffs. So uh, there was there was just <laughs> was a bit of unhappiness, I would say, as, as, as the new year rolled around. But they beat Birmingham very comfortably 3-0 on New Year's Day. And I'm certainly not... Uh, allowing any Leeds fans to pretend that the automatic promotion battle or bid is completely gone for them. Uh, just pause Ipswich, Saints and Leeds for me. Yeah, it's interesting because when, when Leeds beat Ipswich 4-0, um, there was that whole feeling that Leeds were kind of moved into the driving seat for second. And then obviously the weekend, uh, the, the game week that followed, they lost to, to Preston and Ipswich and, and uh, Saints both picked up wins. And it was like, well, we're kind of back to where we were. Um, that's that The kind of re- reverse of that has happened here where Baggies obviously beat Leeds on Friday night and did so fairly convincingly and suddenly Leeds are kind of being dragged back into the pack and then Leeds beat Birmingham 3-0 West Brom get beaten by, by Swansea away and then that gap resumes as to where it was and that kind of plays into what you were just saying where it, it's natural football fan you know you're always going to see the, the general swell of emotive feeling culminating in sweeping conclusions and generalisations where after the back of the two bad results you're like well we're done we can't finish in the top two and then actually very quickly, whatever damage has been done is reversed by results elsewhere and your own, and your own results. And that's why you know, it's the same every season. Like Even though Le- Leicester have, currently have a 13-point gap to, to Southampton, it actually doesn't really take that much in terms of Leicester, who've already lost back-to-back games this season, losing a couple of games, the teams behind them picking up points as regularly as they have been, and suddenly that 12 points becomes six. You're like, well, it's back on now. Um, so that's where we are, I think, in terms of of those where things are moving very quickly and because those teams are so good and picking up points regularly, every time one of them drops points, there's a massive shift between between the group. But for Leeds, you know, and we're seeing Leeds fans or a selection of Leeds fans getting pretty frustrated with Daniel Farker and especially with the away performances, you know, where consistently Leeds are seemingly unable to replicate their brilliant attacking player, Ellen Road, with decent basically the ability to break down teams especially when behind like we've seen it so many times with Leeds where they'll follow up a good performance or result at home and then go to teams and it was the same at Preston we saw it at West Brom we've seen it at Stoke we've seen it at Sunderland too where especially from behind they can't wrestle their way into matches like, and I do wonder had Bamford scored that penalty at the at uh, at the Stoke um, Stadium had they you know had they scored that and they won that game 1-0 
then maybe this um, soft centre on the road wouldn't be the case. Because at home, you know, I, I don't think there's much between, for example, Leicester at home and Leeds at home in terms of pure dominance and performance level. You know, they've won their last two home games, 7-0 on, on aggregate um, against Ipswich and Birmingham. I'm a good value for that too. So that that's kind of where they are now uh, in my mind. Um, and they go to Cardiff next up, needing to, to basically put a stop to this trend of, of really throwing away decent positions away from home. Because if they, if they keep doing that, then there's absolutely no way they'll finish in the top two. And what about Saints and in particular their bid to chase down Ipswich? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the same, isn't it? Where they um, are on this incredible unbeaten run, but, you know, they go to Norwich, they dominate the ball, they're by far the better team. They finally break down Norwich. Um, Adam Armstrong scoring a you know a, a, a tap in effectively, and then Josh Sargent goes with a rare foray forward for Norwich, just twenty five percent possession, and, and gets an equaliser. So, you know, for them it'll be frustrating that they put themselves in such a good position to go and uh, and get another win. Um, again, their away form is what's letting them down. Like they've won, they've drawn their last three away games against Norwich, Coventry, and Watford. Um, sorry, four away games. They've drawn their last four away games, one all. Hmm. That's a live realization there for you. Um, you know what they say, win your home games, draw your away games, and, and you hit got. two PPG. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they it definitely felt a couple of weeks ago like it was going to be two of Leicester, Ipswich and Leeds. Now, Southampton are obviously firmly in that and, and possibly now the favourites to finish second um, because the home form is so good. Uh, and it doesn't really feel like at the beginning of the season, it felt like with both Southampton and Leeds, there were some issues in terms of player retention. But going into the January window, it doesn't really feel like there are many noises around any of the kind of elite clubs losing key players, which is significant too. We will make some predictions. We'll lay down some even stronger opinions this time next week on the Monday pod. Um, but how about some big old winners of the last week or so? George Sheffield Wednesday and Millwall both won both of their games. Uh, for Wednesday, it was a 1-0 win at Preston. Really a gritty, cold, low-margin affair. Uh, Wednesday with one nice piece of play, a direct ball forward uh, that was uh, knocked down. Some good runners from deep. One of them, Marvin Johnson, running through a gap in the Preston defence and finishing well and, and Wednesday holding on with relative comfort for a 1-0 win and then uh, last night live on Sky they hosted Hull City and a few things are true here uh, one they were given a big old helping hand with a big old straight red <laughs> big old straight red for Tyler Morton now I agreed with the commentary team that it didn't for me, reached the, the threshold needed for excessive force or, or serious foul play. I didn't think a red card was necessarily the correct decision there. Clearly, it had a big impact on the game. Well, what is also true is that Wednesday has started really well. And even though they were playing against 10 men, and that is easier, you cannot get away from the fact they played really good, quite fluid, enterprising football, good attacking play while being very, very strong at the other end, George, uh, and ran out 3-1 winners in the end. So fantastic couple of days for Wednesday. They'd lost their first two games of the festive quad, but they won the second two and they're just three points off safety. Yeah, and as we said in, in the pods last week, like there was nothing really in the performances from Wednesday and those defeats against Coventry and Cardiff to, to suggest, um, you know, if you look at QPR and their recent performances and results, there's been a bit of a drop-off um, with the Sheffield Wednesday. I think they continue to, to improve. Um, you are right, you know, Tyler Morton, I think shouldn't have been sent off. I actually am not even really particularly convinced it's a it's a yellow. I think if if it's 
I'm not even that convinced it's a foul, to be honest. Like, he gets the ball. I think there naturally is going to be some level of force when you make a side tackle. I don't think it was dangerous and I don't think his studs were, were up. I don't think it was much to it, really, apart from the fact that he got to the ball first and then, then the man was there and, he, you know, it's it's going to happen. You basically can't punish um, contact after every uh, every sliding tackle. But either way, it doesn't really matter because, as you say, the performances have been so good. They were unlucky not to pick up points previously and they, they got the, the deserved win against Hull here. I think Danny Rell is doing an incredible job. Like I, I really think for a rookie manager to come in and oversee such turnaround in performances, like yes, it was from a very low bar. Like I, I do think if you are going to look at all the sacked managers this season, despite the off-field issues around um, Def and Chanziri's uh, ownership, it does feel like Cisco Munoz was one of the worst appointments and one of the most underperformed managers in the in the whole league. So, you know, in the opposite sense of Rooney having to come into a, a club overachieving with a, a manager in Eustace doing very well, with Royal it was basically coming in and picking a club off rock bottom, which is a much easier thing to do, but he still deserves huge credit for doing it. And the only issue I think for Wednesday is that if he continues the way he is, he is unbelievably horrible, like in every sense, like his his managerial history and track record and what he's done in the game before coming to Wednesday shouldn't in itself necessarily necessitate a job. But when you follow that up with taking a Wednesday side down on their haunches and improving them the way that he is, he's going to be very attractive, I think, to um, to clubs that want to hire a young progressive manager. So that could be an issue for Wednesday now. But either way, a, 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 yeah, a magnificent couple of wins for them. And it's getting to the stage now where not only are they playing their way out of the relegation picture, but there are so many teams in the championship currently playing worse than them that it's hard to really see why they shouldn't get themselves out of trouble fairly soon. And a massive, massive few weeks for Millwall as well, because they've just been drifting down the table, haven't they? Kind of slowly but surely, really, over the last uh, couple of months. And Joe Edwards had found it pretty tough in charge of Millwall after winning 4-0 at Sheffield Wednesday. Early on in his tenure, Millwall then went seven without a win, four defeats and three draws. However, back-to-back 1-0 win since we last spoke against Norwich and then away at Bristol City, a late, late goal from Sean Hutchinson after they really had a bit of a set-piece onslaught in Bristol City. It felt like the Millwall of old, stereotypical modern Millwall with their incredible set-piece threat and dominance. Uh, That's off the back of the 2-0 win uh, against QPR as well uh, and a nil-all draw away at Stoke. So 10 points from the four festive fixtures, not a single goal conceded. Look at the underlying numbers. You can see why... Edwards has succeeded in getting Millwall to be super strong out of possession once again. I think it's only nine shots on target they've faced in the last four games. And that's really, really strong stuff. So while they're by no means purring going forward, while I think there's still a lot of work to do for Edwards in terms of improving their in-possession play, uh, their build-up and their chance creation with the ball, you have to say that in terms of just gritting their teeth, getting through a, a busy period and picking up a ton of points to put a gap between themselves and the relegation zone, this was about as good as it got in the championship, I would say, uh, over the festive period. They're now 10 points from safety and really ever since Rowett was sacked or really ever since a few weeks into the season when it became clear that Millwall run likely to challenge for the playoff places it felt like then you know once Edwards took charge the only objective was stay up and in doing so turn the page start turning over the playing style perhaps the squad as well uh, and really be ready for next season and hopefully uh, looking and feeling a little bit different
environment a bit more positive and fresher. Uh, and I think hopefully we're just starting to see, if not the page fully turning, I don't think we can say that yet, but at least the book is open uh, after what was a, a pretty scary couple of months, I would suggest. Uh, also been a good few days for Coventry, George. Actually, the biggest risers in the whole Christmas period. 15th they were before those games on the uh, 22nd, 23rd. They're now 8th and right on the threshold of the playoffs. I mean, their front four has been sensational. Sakamoto off the right has, what is it, five goals in the last couple of weeks, having scored just one uh, before. Uh, Callum O'Hare back in business, and the whole team has just loosened up going forward. They look so dynamic. The combination play, it's, just, it's really cool to see how one player um, can can help just sort of grease the wheels in the final third in terms of the the one-twos, the passing and movement. Uh, O'Hare deserves a ton of credit for coming back from not one, but actually two pretty bad injuries and just no drop-off whatsoever. If anything, he looks better than he did beforehand. And then Hadji Wright and Ellis Sims, who are the, the kind of uh, big signings over the summer. Wright's goal-scoring record has started to fly uh, in line with his underlying numbers. Uh, Sims, less so, uh, and I think still... A uh, bit of dismay at how uncomfortable he looks in front of goal. He nicked a goal off Hadji Wright in the second last game and then Wright nicked one off him uh, in this game. But their only points dropped in the last four came against Swansea and it was an injury time free kick from Cullen. So they're in fantastic nick. And actually Swansea doing pretty well in the last couple of games, George. That draw at Coventry and then beating West Bromwich Albion. Alan Sheehan doing himself no harm in that caretaker role at the moment. <laughs> No, he's not. Um, it was interesting to note that Eric Ramsey, the Manchester United coach, um, is now the odds-on favourite for that Ooh, job. He's always been highly rated. Highly rated. <laughs> Although I think a lot of Manchester United fans seem to blame him for quite a lot of their set-piece um, fallibility <sighs> this season. I mean, who knows? Who cares? Um, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Uh, I'm pretty sure there were some people that wondered how good Kieran McKenna could be as he was uh, part of me. coaching staff of a Manchester United team that weren't very impressive. Well, no, so I, let's not worry too much about I've that. I've now worked out that actually... He was the reason why they weren't really terrible. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, interesting to note in this West Brom game. Now, West Brom under Corboran have often been a team best out of possession who are, you know, very resolute and good in their out of possession shape, which is why they're so good at, at defending Leeds, often employing a low block, as we've seen against Leeds last week, as we see, saw against Coventry a few weeks ago. Um, but here, and, and Swansea, as we know, we know what the Swansea identity is. So I was kind of surprised to see in this game that Swansea, you know, that Baggy's basically dominated possession. You know, Game State will play, play a part in that, but it was kind of the case throughout the game. Uh, she and Swansea basically looking to be a bit more direct, which you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, Cullen getting the goal and saw it out pretty well. So, yeah, I mean, he obviously does his um, chances no harm uh, in terms of getting the full-time job, even if you know, the Swansea owners have basically said that they're going to look to bring in someone to play the, the kind of way that... Uh, the Swansea fans believe their team should play um, but even so you know it's a, a, a very important win and as you say uh, an important turnaround for them um, frustrating again for West Brom to have picked up that massive win against Leeds only to, to drop three points here against a side that they probably anticipate they shouldn't be losing to absolutely loved the strike from Cullen to equalise uh, at the Rico, at the CBS rather, um, with that free kick from the edge of the box, just going very hard and low into the far corner, the, the sort of keeper's side, but with really good technique. Uh, and he finished well in that win against West Brom. Uh, other names to flag up. Well, Josh Tymon looks pretty settled now as Swansea's starting left back. And it took him a, a couple of months to really bed in there. But I liked that signing when it was made. I wrote about it on NTT20.com. Uh, I, I always bang on about the fact that I don't think 
think left back is a particularly strong pool of players in the Championship League One or, or League Two when you have one that can deliver a ball like Josh Tymon. If you can set up your team to mitigate against, you know, um, defensive weaknesses, which is what's always been in the uh, sort of cons column when it comes to Tymon, uh, then you're going to have a, a pretty good player there. So uh, he's playing well, and Harry Darling in a right back role is also playing very well at the moment. You mentioned West Brom, iconic set of Corboran results over the festive period. Four 1-0 scorelines, two in their favour, two against. Um, still in the playoffs with a three-point cushion to seventh. So uh, West Brom have an interesting January ahead. Uh, the ownership issues that we spoke about at length with uh, action for Albion a couple of weeks ago, you know, those are uh, not just in the background. Those are, are looming very, very large and uh, could have a big impact on the team as well. Uh, Sunderland, they got seven points from their uh, four festive games. They got four points in the last couple of days, a draw with Rotherham and then a win against uh, Preston. In doing so, they've moved into sixth, leapfrogging Hull City. A pretty comfortable win in the end against Preston, who'd started fairly brightly, but a sensational strike from Pritchard put Sunderland ahead. And then an even better bit of individual genius from Jack Clark carrying the ball 60, 70 yards and then squaring it for Rusin to score a really nice uh, outside of the right foot instinctive finish for his first goal uh, in the league for Sunderland. Uh, they, they're into sixth because Hull City, uh, they only picked up three points over the last four games. One win against Blackburn, 3-2, a bit of a topsy-turvy one, but some really nice attacking play. Delap and Connolly looking pretty good. And then that defeat to Sheffield Wednesday, where I do think Wednesday had started the better side, but I also think 11 v 11, there's a chance that Hull grow into that game. There's a chance that their individual quality, particularly at the top of the pitch, uh, could have led to a slightly different outcome. So they'll be feeling pretty hard done by for that red card that we didn't think uh, should have been a red card. And, and I still maintain, as I said the other day, even though it's three defeats from their last four and they've dropped out of the top six, having worked so hard to get in there, not that worried about Hull or their general level of performance. I still think that they are absolutely one of the teams gunning for sixth place. Uh, other teams that won one and lost one, Middlesbrough beat Huddersfield, but then lost 3-1 at to Coventry City. Really impressive away performance that one was from Cov. In fairness, after Borough had dominated the opening exchanges, uh, but still that feeling that maybe in both boxes, certainly going forward, they're just not necessarily getting the results that their build-up play deserves. And I think there's that's probably fair to say that at the back as well, they're just a little softer than some of the other teams. They seem to concede the sorts of goals that the top teams aren't conceding. And that is a bit of a head-scratcher. They're in 12th uh, Middlesbrough at the moment. Cardiff are in ninth. They lost to Leicester. Uh, absolute screamer from James Justin and uh, Dewsbury Hall had put Leicester ahead after Cardiff gave the that gave the ball away at the back. Not a great idea against Leicester, uh, but they beat QPR two one at Loftus Road off the back of two set piece goals from Big Dimmy Gutas and Perry and G. Bad few days, George, for Preston and Huddersfield. PNE PNE losing to Wednesday and to Sunderland. Things have got really tetchy between Ryan Lowe and the fan base over the last month or so. Huddersfield, well, they lost to Borough and to Leicester, so no great shame in that. But Preston, we've said it loads of times before where, um, and this is not me in any way having a pop of Preston fans, but it does because there's such a history of overachievement at that club in terms of of managers. I think there's always going to be a bit of a disconnect between Ryan Lowe, who will basically look at the budgets that he has to work with compared to the league and he will judge success based on where he is in the league table and, and basically nothing more and nothing less, which is a perfectly valid way to look at it. And the fans who go to games every week who have become used to being a, a pretty well-run club and a pretty smart club and a club that can punch above its weight and therefore have higher standards maybe than the, than the manager itself. It's a, it's a bit of a re- recipe for 
a um, a clash of opinions and therefore a not particularly happy work environment, which is where we are right now with um, with Ryan Lowe and Preston, which is exacerbated by their very good start to the season. That understandably had North End fans wondering, you know, how far could they go this season. Um, I said after the Leeds game that even though it was two moments of quality from Liam Miller that won them the game, there wasn't a great deal in the actual performance to suggest that they had turned a corner. And that seems to have been the case. Um, with Huddersfield, they're just completely embroiled in a relegation scrap now. There's there's no other way to really look at it. Um, you know, Darren Moore hoped, I think, for a time that, you know, certainly the, the performance itself uh, in the victory um, against, against Blackburn was much better um, in that 3-0 win. Not ideal for him and not ideal for, for Huddersfield that that was followed up by two games against Byron and Leicester. Um, difficult games that, that they came that came after that. So they've got a trip to Man City on Saturday um, or maybe it's Sunday, uh, which probably won't help things too much. But they have to, you know, the, the improvement of QPR, the improvement of, of Sheffield Wednesday in particular has really hit Huddersfield. And right now there's not a great deal to be, to be overly optimistic about. And then a big old chunk of sort of meh. To flank New Year, I think everyone was a bit tired over the last week or so. These players, uh, the staff, everyone that travels with these clubs, the fans as well, have, have really had a pretty absurd couple of weeks. So I don't want to be too critical of the teams that didn't do quite so well. Watford, two draws uh, with Stoke and Argyle. Um, differing types of draws. I mean, the Argyle game was absolutely bonkers. I mean, some of the best individual goals George uh, of the season so far in in one game let's say the best quality of goal in one game between Argyle and Watford yesterday that three all draw unbelievable goal from Finazaz like just I hadn't for whatever reason I hadn't seen it on social media yesterday I think probably because a faster turnaround than we're used to you know the games were yesterday we normally wait 48 hours by the time we record so well you'd been at the game as well and then game. presumably spent the rest of the day telling everyone that you'd headed the ball yeah did that a lot I've tried to talk to my wife about something that wasn't heading the ball. <laughs> tried to read my daughter a bedtime story. Um, the man who headed it. But I... Away! The George so, Ellick story. I sat down this morning and I was kind of going through the games as I do on what is normally a Monday morning, but today a Tuesday morning. And I just wasn't prepared <laughs> for it at all. And I just sat agape in the seat you're sitting in now, mm. just thinking, and it's just so up my street. It's just... A little bit different to what we're used to. It's a different technique. It's a kind of side-footed, cushioned volley yes. sent into the top right-hand corner. Horrible. Actually, not top right-hand corner, which is essential, I think, for the aesthetic, where it dips and it kind dips, of nestles itself yeah. into the side netting. Like, horrible conditions for a for a, a, a shot like that to get the purchase needed mm. in order to hit it with a, with a wet ball. Like, I love is, him. He's and up I there love with that. the best technicians in the league, as as yeah. Because with his natural right foot, he is incredible in terms of uh, the goals that he scores but also his uh, through balls in particular is a skill that he excels at but he can do so much with his left foot as well and I think that should always be taken into account people always talk about those players with like cultured left foots quite often those guys are only using their right foot for standing I love a two-footed player I think that's technical ability not being amazing with one foot and I think Azaz very much fits that bill Watford were on the other end of it, but in a ridiculous game, uh, came back and drew 3-3. Watford had also drawn with Stoke. They drew both games uh, 0-0. They've drawn five of their last six. Uh, So unbeaten in six because the other one was a win uh, against Birmingham, but only eight points in that time. Rotherham drew with Sunderland and with Blackburn. Liam Richardson should take some credit for the way that his team have improved in his tenure so far. Plenty of positives, but also 
plenty of points still needed. Uh, still a seven-point gap to safety for Rotherham and obviously a couple of teams in between them as well. Uh, and then it was one point for Bristol City who drew two blanks and nil-nil with Birmingham and lost 1-0 to Millwall after their good start to this period. Norwich lost to Millwall uh, and drew with Southampton. They are winless in three. Uh, Blackburn, what's happened to Blackburn? Uh, not 100% sure, but uh, they drew with Rotherham having been in front twice in that game and having lost 3-2 to Hull as well just a couple of days before. Argyle, as mentioned, uh, with a defeat and a draw hard done by against Southampton, but uh, individual players like Morgan Whitaker and Finn Azaz looking absolutely brilliant at the moment. QPR one point away at Ipswich, a nil-all draw, very creditable result that, but then home defeat to, to Cardiff. They can't afford to be losing home games to Cardiff if they are to, uh, like Sheffield Wednesday, be serious about looking upwards and looking to chase down Huddersfield and others, uh, Birmingham as well picked up one point from their two games, as discussed at the top of the pod. So a big state of play discussion next week with some predictions. We'll look at the automatics, the playoff picture, the seeded match and the relegation uh, battle in the championship. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. George, two teams in League One got six points since we last spoke. One of them made it a clean sweep in the festive period. Bolton Wanderers, Ian Evitt's side, going four from four and in doing so, moving from fifth to second. The only goals they conceded in this group of four games were against Leighton Orient when they were already 3-0 up after 10 minutes. They keep on rolling. 2.13 PPG over the season now. Very healthy indeed. They've got that sense of consistent performance that I'm always looking for in a team at this stage of the season as well when they have an off day when they lose a game I, I never am that concerned that it's going to lead to a more extended period of poor form and I can't say that as bullishly about some of the other teams up there we should also say they had a pretty kind fixture list mm, over this period I was going to say like I <clears throat> I'm not sold yet like but I watched... who can you only beat what's in front of you <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which they failed to do in their three games before against, <laughs> against better sides. I don't know. I, I watched two Bolton games back to back. I watched them live when I saw them draw nil nil with Oxford, and I watched them lose to Pompey two nil live on Sky. And in both, I was really disappointed with them, which is kind of weird because last season I saw them live because back in last season I remember saying a similar thing. But like, obviously they are, you know, they're. They're more than flat trap bullies, but they are very, very good at beating the weaker teams in the league. Like that is absolutely the case. They are so defensively solid. They press incredibly well. Um, and I think when you basically go into games, like going into the game against Lincoln, Fleetwood, Burton, you can be fairly confident that Bolton are not going to be tested too much from a defensive standpoint. And given they've got some really good attacking firepower, whether it's up front in Adebayo, Dion Charles, whether it's out wide, like they've got a lot of talent throughout their side. Um, it's a recipe for picking up points and winning those games. The difficulty, in my mind, comes against the, the better teams in the league. And that has been the case, where you look through their games this season, where they were beaten by Pompey, as we said. They 
drew with Peterborough, they drew nil all the way at Oxford. Um, you know, Derby are the only team currently in the top six that they've beaten so far. So that is in itself where their their season is going to be won or lost. And it's also pretty striking to note that if you look at their games this season so far, they've only played two of the top eleven away from home. Um, so they've got different, more difficult fixtures to come. Like the, it's it's really important to them and their and their promotion bid that they got back on track. And as you say, four wins out of four, you, you cannot ask for more than that. Um, but I am more of the opinion that um, then you know they may have to improve in order to maintain their current points tally because the fixtures are getting, they've got a lot of hard fixtures to come basically between now and the end of the season. That's a bit of fun. I led you down to the path to the lake which I wanted you to drink from, which was, yeah, they're going to win the league and make our <laughs> 1-24 to predictions look really good. Uh, but you didn't do that. Yeah. And uh, fair enough. Uh, hello to Northampton Town, the big risers in the last couple of days. Back-to-back wins against Lincoln and then a 1-0 at home to Cheltenham. They've moved from 12th to 9th. A star man over the last month or so has not been Sam Hoskins. It's been Kieran Bowie who has really burst into life. So Bowie is, for those who don't know him... Starman. Yeah. Oh, star boy. I hate that phrase so much. That's why I didn't say it. Um, Bowie is a, a young man who uh, is... Well, he broke Under through... Under pressure. Broke through at Wraith Rovers. Um, and you've thrown me. Um, <laughs> Kieran Bowie, youngster, came through at Wraith Rovers, looked really good, got bought by Fulham. Uh, in the Fulham Academy, looks pretty good. Goes on loan to Northampton Town last season. Ends up being a part of the, the front four, a part of their first team that sees them win promotion from League Two, but isn't actually scoring that many goals. Normally playing off the right. He's a six-footer. Uh, he's got good height. He's a lefty. He's got quite a sweet left peg. It didn't really translate into a ton of goals last season. Uh, and this season as well. He he almost hit a 1,000 minutes without scoring at all this season. It just seems that in the last month or so, something has clicked. And it might just be a completely random hot streak. But in particular, his goal against Lincoln and the whole team move that led up to it felt like Northampton and Bowie individually just realising that they absolutely belong at this level and kind of the confidence that leads to uh, better execution. And it's really exciting because he's still a very, very young player and he's in excellent form. He scored the penalty here and it was a good pen as well to get North- Northampton over the live, uh, over the live, over over the line against uh, Cheltenham Town. And yeah, just love John Brady, love him and this Northampton team, the journey that they've been on over the last two years. And I'm kind of excited for them now being the team in ninth. Feels like Lincoln were the team in ninth for quite a long time. But now it's it's Northampton and you know we've kind of spoken a bit about a top eight. Now we're talking a bit about maybe it's a four and then another four going for two playoff spots. But I wanted to ask you, is, is ninth the ceiling for Northampton or any League One mid-table team, or do you think there's a chance that they or someone else could smash through that ceiling? So, is what you're saying is that ninth is like a strange or peculiar area in the table? So maybe like a, a space oddity. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, <laughs> they do seem. I mean, you mentioned Lincoln. Isn't that there. a film? Huh? Is that a film? Space, space oddity. oddity. Yeah. Space, space oddity. Oh, oddity. Yeah. Strange or peculiar area in the table. Yeah. Oh, I need um, to get a new co-host, mate. I, I'm not. I'm not a Bowie guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the moment, there's clearly there's a top seven, but Blackpool four points behind. You kind of feel are the ones who are going to be able to to bridge that if it is the case. So there is eight with with, with Northampton and Bristol Rovers 
the ones down and with Lincoln now dropping down to 11th. Um, Bristol Rovers, to me, like with a game in hand on Northampton as well. So, you know, they're two points behind, but but that isn't necessarily an absolutely correct standpoint. And given with Matt Taylor coming in and the quality they've got in their squad, they would, to me, be the most likely outside the eight to, to break into those, um, you know, the, the playoff chasing pack. But Cobblers are doing great things. You know, it's really impressive to see how they're playing at home in particular. Um, you know, they've got an array now of attacking options, which isn't what we've been able to say about Cobblers for, for, for much of the time under John Brady. Um, great to see Tari Simpson um, having an impact uh, in the front line. Bowie, as you mentioned a second ago, Hoskins soon to come back from injury. Like it is, it's, it's a multi-pronged attack with, with various different um, personal styles or, or playing styles for, amongst those strikers, which is which is big. And we know that John Brady is very adept at setting up a team defensively. So they're, they're never going to concede very many goals you know they conceded 33 so far this season um which isn't an amazing record for, for where they are in the league but i think we can be confident especially at home like they will maintain a decent defensive record but since you mean you mentioned lincoln and they're the ones to me who at the moment i've got the most concerns about and this isn't you know it's it's, it's not particularly um well i was gonna say insightful but hopefully it's insightful but you know that the results aren't good so it's not like i'm pointing at a, a club here saying or look out for these guys like they're, they're in trouble they've lost four games in a row they're winless in six but since they beat cambridge three nil away from home which i think was the result that caused mark Ponner to, to leave to, or to get sat from cambridge they're winless since then they've only scored three goals since then and their xg4 in those six games is under 0.5 per game which is uh, really, really low, and by far the lowest in, in League One. And this is, you know, quite a long time into Michael Scabala's reign, where you're probably now starting to see the, the fruits or or not of of his labour. So um, it was a big call to to sat Mark Kennedy when they did. They kind of did okay in the interim period. Scabala came in and, and oversaw a really promising first few games. But the, you know, you, we often see those XG plot graphs. And Lincoln's right now is is really concerning where they're on a massive downward trend and any hopes they had to break into the playoffs unless they improve massively are quickly dissipating. So Cobblers, big winners of the last week or so. Lincoln, who lost all four over the festive period, uh, certainly big losers. You could say the same for Fleetwood, George. They lost to Bolton. They lost 3-1 to Shrewsbury. In between that, they sacked Lee Johnson, the second manager sacking at Fleetwood this season. They've gone from Scott Brown to Lee Johnson and Charlie Adams at the helm. Talk about a left peg. <laughs> a left peg in a round hole. <laughs> Ross Wallace is on his staff as well. Talk about a left peg. Left peg arm. Um, Fleetwood, serious face on, have been a shambles and they're five points from safety. Charlie Adam, big job. Big job, yeah. It's a shame that Lee Johnson exists in that. Uh, nope, sorry. I need to, <laughs> sorry. I need to keep to the sentence. It exists in that sequence. Um, because if you take him out, the um, Joey Barton into Scott Brown into Charlie Adam feels like a Pokemon-style evolution that no one wants to see. <laughs> um, but, you know, clearly whoever's calling the shots at Fleetwood um, still has a penchant for, you know, quite tough tackling um, midfielders who've played at a high level in the past, although Adam, as we say, certainly a much better footballer. Um mm. Much better set piece taker. Charlie Adam, tough tackling. I think his cons were the out of possession stuff, and his pros were the in possession. I definitely think his his running stats wouldn't have been great, but yeah. I, I think the foot in would have been okay. But yeah, I mean, who knows with, with Charlie Adam? He's you know, I've heard him quite a lot on the radio, and he, he obviously can articulate um, his views on the game 
fairly well. Um, whether that translates into football, you know, management ability, we'll have to wait and see. Like that's, he's that's been the loans manager at Burnley. Burnley, exactly. For those who didn't know, he's been working closely in what's been an interesting time at Burnley, uh, from Dice to Company, from Premier League to Championship to Premier League. I'm surprised he didn't hang on for just a couple more days and just recall all of their loans and send them to, to Fleetwood and then and then go Michael Mellon just popping up before football manager in real life. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, he yeah, so we will have to see. I, I I still find Fleetwood very strange to understand this season because I still think, on paper at least, um, their squad is way better than their performance level. Um, and yes, I know there's obviously off-field turbulence, but I don't really see why your owner being in prison should have like a massive tangible effect on the playing performance of a, of a squad of players who are still seemingly getting paid on time, who have no concerns about their immediate job security. Like there doesn't seem, to, you know, last week Fleetwood are being linked to Johnson Clark Harris by the local press in Peterborough. Like if they're genuinely looking to bring in another striker who will cost somewhere around the half million pound mark, there cannot be massive issues at the football club day to day in terms of the day to day running. So I don't think, you know, I think for Charlie Adam, it's a pretty good job to take on. Like I think there is, going to be potential to, to to sort this out if Adam is able to to save them from relegation then he's going to be lauded as a savior at Fleetwood and rightly so so um you know we have seen or we saw briefly uh, in a small run in a, a little streak before the bad streak under Lee Johnson that they put in some good performances they were good in the 3-0 win at home against Exeter and um, they were good in that 3 all uh, Wednesday night game against Blackpool um they went to Barnsley and got a 2 all draw like they were they were okay for a time and then things as they often do under Lee um turned very quickly uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, I, I just do not know enough about Adam to um, to know if he'll be any good at this or not. But you know, Barton, I guess, was was pretty good for them. Um, Scott Brown looked okay for a time before it went wrong. So let's see. Other big losers in League One over the last week. Charlton Athletic. They didn't win a single game over the festive period. Started with a one-all draw at home to Burton with an injury time equaliser scored by Burton. Then they lost to Leighton Orient 1-0. Then they lost to Bristol Rovers in the last minute. Uh, Orient's winner, I should say, having come in the 80th minute. Then they lost in front of your eyes and a bruised head ah, <laughs> to Oxford bruised. United, uh, having gone ahead after five minutes. Uh, Oxford equalised after 22 and then Smith's worldy in the 85th minute. I mean, one point from four games. You've seen them with your own eyes. Why, why are Charlton so poor at the moment? Really hard to say. Um, I was relatively impressed with them in the first half an hour yesterday. Now, it seems to be a bit of a trend at the moment that fans absolutely hate hearing managers blaming injuries for is for issues, and I can understand why because you know it doesn't really change your match going experience. Everyone has injuries, as we know. I, I think it would be churlish not to accept that. Both yesterday, Oxford and Charlton have serious injury issues, like that, and there's no denying that. And I, I think if you're a Charlton fan, you're saying, "Well, everyone has injuries." Well, it, that doesn't change the fact that you have the top goal scorer in the league out. You have a, a striker in Miles Leburn who will play Premier League football probably fairly soon and would command a multi-million pound transfer fee right now, out injured for the foreseeable. That you've got, you know, Eisted, your number one keeper, out for the foreseeable. So there, there's a, a lot of players, and, and I, you know, I haven't mentioned McGrandles and other kind of players who may not start week in, week out, but are important squad, squad players who are injured at the moment. And therefore, you've got an, an incredibly young and raw front line where Blacker Taylor off the left-hand side was, was very good in the first half yesterday and missing the second half. 
Idris Kanu showed some ability, I thought, up front. Uh, Tyrese Campbell off the right looked very good until the final end product, although Beadle made a good save from him, but he had a couple of decent opportunities. I thought Croy Anderson was probably, of the lot, looked the weakest to me. Uh, but Chem Campbell looking very good in central midfield and scoring scoring the the, um, the the opening goal as well. So th- there was enough there in terms of an attacking standpoint, where especially in the first half, where Charlton sat off Oxford and let Oxford have it and would consistently win high turnovers and are really dangerous when doing so because of the pace they had um, and the directness they had. For the first half an hour, they were the better side. Oxford's goal changed the game and saw them come back into it. And in the second half, I thought Oxford were by far the better team, even though they didn't create loads. Charlton created very little indeed. Although it was it was a 30-yarder from Machine Smith that won the game, where if you are Michael Appleton, from the moment Smith hits the ball, you are happy that he's shooting. You know, it would be the same with any coach. But then the ball flies in and suddenly the accusation is, well, why didn't we close him down? Why didn't we stop him from getting that shot off? Which is a, a natural kind of post-truth reaction to have when you've seen the ball fly in the back of the net. I'm not really here to, you know, obviously I believe that Appleton, having watched his team over a period of time, is a very good manager. I'm not really here to make excuses for him. I think that the injury stuff is a, is a reason why Charlton are struggling at the moment. I also think when you've appointed a manager after a transfer window, whose success, whose success at both Oxford and Lincoln came after periods to start with, of like a bedding-in period... Um, it would be a pretty strange response to to sack him before having much time to oversee much improvement, especially when it's a manager, when it's a club who have churned through so many managers in recent years, none of whom have really been able to achieve success. So what is the thinking here that you're going to be able to get rid of this one and bring in someone to do better? Um, I don't know. As I, as I tweeted yesterday, like... Uh, it, the, the the hiring and firing culture in the, in the EFL has has only got worse, and that seems to have really seeped into fan sentiment now. Where the the most minor, and I'm not saying that Charlton are this at all, because I know that things aren't aren't particularly good there, and the fans are totally within their rights not to be happy with what they're seeing at the moment. But the single sniff of underperformance or losing games that people believe they should win or whatever, immediately the the, the, the baying mob come out and demand the manager sacking without any thought process as to what else could the issue be here like what else can we change like do we actually we've got a manager here and this is again using apple appleton as an example we've got a manager here who's twice massively overachieved with clubs right oxford and lincoln like really achieved tangible success with both in terms of outperforming what what he's been given how do we create an environment where we can do that again rather than it being like right well this is what we've got this is the infrastructure we've got at the moment this is the squad that we've got He's not doing well with this, so let's get another guy and see if he can do any better. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Not a happy camp at the moment. Uh, Derby were going for four in a row, and they were 1-0 up against Posh. And they were 2-1 up against Posh. But they lost 3-2, an injury time winner from Ricky Jade Jones and Posh win it. Uh, they'd had a funny couple of days in which they had drawn two all at Barnsley from 2-0 down. Uh, they were the architects of their own downfall giving the ball away uh, at the back and seeing Barnsley canter into a 2-0 lead but Johnson Clark Harris popped up to score two absolutely like kind of nutty Johnson Clark Harris situation where because of the way that posh are in terms of the way they operate uh, in recruitment in particular in player trading and the way that they um, you know the way that they always seem to squeeze a lot of good value out of their players compared to a lot of other clubs 
it made me laugh that he, having barely played at all, played against Barnsley and scored two, as if it was almost like a marketing thing to be yeah. like, he can, he's fine, you he's fit, that. and he's scoring. But it, it's pretty clear that he'll be moving on in January, and they're obviously trying to drive the price up um, by what they're saying publicly, by what Dmax says on social media, and also by playing Clark Harris and seeing him score. But then live on Sky. What do they do? They want to show off what else they've got. And Ricky J. Jones has been really excellent part of the attack in the last couple of weeks. He gets a lot of chances. He doesn't seem quite as prolific as older strikers. I think that's quite normal for someone of his age. But he's worth persevering with. And he scored the winner here with a, a brave finish at the feet of uh, Wild Smith. Um, Poku scored a header in this game, which looked so wrong. Um, he's he's not the player that's meant to be scoring a header, uh, but it was well uh, angled into the far corner. And this was a huge win for Peterborough. For Derby, I mean, damaging to an extent just because it's a team with whom they are vying for automatic promotion. Still, if you zoom out, overall it's been an incredible few weeks for Derby and they've moved from sixth to fourth in the um, festive period. Those two clubs and Bolton, of course, did get closer to our league leaders, Portsmouth, only five points from their four festive games, but it finished in strong fashion with a win at home to Stevenage, an awkward opponent. As we all know, this was a bitty, scrappy, angry game with a, a red card near the end. Former Pompey player Nathan Thompson booting someone in the face. Uh, his brother Louis Thompson had scored against his old, uh, against Portsmouth and another former player of theirs as well. But uh, just when things were getting a little bit nervy within the fan base, just when... A couple of the more extreme opinion havers had decided to discuss Colby Bishop as maybe not being quite as good as people had thought or not in good form or worthy of being dropped. Uh, that obviously got through to Bishop because he scored a, a brilliant goal here. He played absolutely brilliantly uh, all round. And in his post-match, he, uh, he, he was pretty open about uh, what he perceived to be pretty unfair criticism as well. Uh, a lot of the players that are being praised two months ago. It's amazing how quickly the narrative can change about them after a, a bit of nervousness. But a big win for Portsmouth. They're still our league leaders. Two-point gap to second, four-point gap to third place. Uh, the big winners down at the bottom, mate, were probably Burton and Reading. Um, Burton, seven points from the festive period. They did lose 1-0 to Bolton yesterday, but they'd beaten Shrewsbury, they'd beaten Blackpool, and they'd drawn with Charlton as well. Um, they've still got that four-point cushion to the relegation zone, and the caretaker manager, Gary Mills, has done pretty well in terms of results. Uh, Burton are, are always a team that I struggle to actually grasp because <laughs> sometimes they're playing poorly and getting results. Sometimes they're playing poorly and getting absolutely tonked. Sometimes they're playing quite well and not getting results. And very rarely, they're playing really well and winning loads of football matches. Yeah. Um, and I think their performance, well, their games under the new manager, I think the Oxford game um, was very poor. Like They didn't really show up on, on the day. It was the caretaker's first game in charge, I think. And I basically he watched that and was like, right, we are going to work incredibly hard on our defensive um, shape and basically be a team that very different to Dino Mamre last season, just just uh, try and be very, very solid out of possession and not concede too many chances. And he's been successful in doing that. And that's why when you look at their games, they've had four games, they've all been very low margin, very low scoring with very few shots, very few goal math activity. Um, and they've come out on top in two of them that were pretty marginal. They've come out second best in one of them against Bolton where Bolton were probably better side, but again, unlike against other teams, didn't create a great deal. And there was a one all draw against... Um, against Charlton so it's pretty a pretty clever way to go about a caretaker 
spell um if we are to assume that the you know the the hunt is still ongoing for Mamre's long-term replacement um it's done a very good job in keeping the gap between them in the relegation zone or kind of making that gap a bit bigger um and yeah I've been you know impressed ish where like they've been playing pretty well and the results have been pretty good did you was that one of your things yeah it was one of the things uh how about reading they've been playing pretty well yes and results have been pretty good two wins and two draws over christmas out the relegation zone perhaps most significantly their win against exeter was huge exeter have dropped beneath the dotted line as a result and the emergence of femi aziz as the league one morgan whitaker Around the same time that Whitaker himself has very visibly like taken on a, a le- uh, taken a leap and become an even more of a gunman at championship level, Aziz is having an unbelievable time as well. Yeah, he is. I mean, I, I think Reading generally have just been very impressive. Like, I, I still maintain that, given the the points deductions and given how young a lot of the players in the in the team are, especially the, the two centre backs, for them to be, you know, their, their game is always going to be pretty frenetic and hectic. Partly because Ruben Sellers, that's the, you know he likes to create chaos in games by being very energetic out of possession, but partly because their best players are and their more established players are attacking players and therefore they're good going forward, and their younger, less established players are defenders, so therefore they have some defensive frailties. Even though those players, especially Nelson Abbey, are very promising, um, and this was one of those games where they took the lead three times in the game. They were unable to hold on to their lead twice. Um, Nibs with the opener, Hartridge with a an own goal. And then, as you say, Femi Aziz with a really nice finish from range um, to win it. And Exeter didn't create a great deal as Rankin and Jules with the two goals. But I do think, yeah, I mean, Reading are having looked in a pretty perilous position in terms of, of relegation. Um, their recent run has them 20th now, uh, even with the deductions out of the relegation zone on goal difference. I'd be pretty surprised if they're back in there anytime soon. And I, and I still think that... You know, it, it goes completely at, at odds. I was talking to a Reading fan about this last week, who isn't sold on sellers at all. You know, if if I was a a, a League One uh, owner or manager, you know, if I was a League One owner looking for a a manager who plays a certain way, you know, wants to play on the front foot and with energy and attacking football, I think Sellers is putting himself in the shop window to be a really good manager, personally. Elsewhere, Oxford lost against Derby from two 0 up, three two defeat, then beat Charlton from one 0 down, two one win. I'm kind of intrigued by your club's trajectory over the next month or so. It kind of feels to me a little bit like you might be uh, <laughs> just, just like, what's the word, treading water a little bit, just in terms of, of top six, treading water a little bit. But we shall see. Uh, Barnsley are the new members of the top six. They've jumped over Stevenage, even though they drew both games uh, in the last couple of days, away at Peterborough, uh, throwing away a 2-0 lead at home to Wigan also giving away a, a lead to draw that one. Stevenage, well, one of the reasons they dropped out is because they only played one game. Uh, their match against Cambridge was cancelled due to floodlight failure uh, with everyone in the ground and the players ready to go. Uh, the lights went out. That uh, was a bit of a burden for everyone. Uh, Cambridge themselves, or oh, Stevenage, I should say, then losing away at Pompey. No great shame in that. Cambridge got done by Leighton Orient at home uh, 2-0, despite that extra rest that they had, which you'd have thought would be a huge benefit during this uh, schedule. But Orient in good nick, beating Cambridge 2-0. Dan Adjaye is fit and scoring. That is very exciting. He was one of their big summer additions. Uh, they drew nil all with Wickham before that, so it's a seven-point festive return. Quite impressive for Orient. They're 12th now. 
Uh, and it feels to me like Wellens has succeeded twice this season at finding solutions after poor runs of form. So I think they'd only won, what was it, one of their first six league games and then he found something they beat Exeter and they went on from there and they had a good run then they were winless in eight games uh, just into the start of December but he's found something and they've won three drawn one and lost one of their last five and that's the sign of a, a pretty good manager who can kind of rise above poor runs of form where you know people start questioning things heads start dropping it, it seems to me that both times they've kind of gone back to basics for want of a better phrase uh, not tried too much in possession but just tried to keep the ball out of their net and go from there and I've said before I don't think that's necessarily Wellens's dream scenario as a manager but again I think it's actually uh, reflects very well on him that he can be when necessary like pragmatic and take maybe a defence first mindset uh, in order to pick up results in order to you know, keep himself in a job. There are some managers that don't seem to be able to adapt to different situations. A few more teams that had it kind of up and down. Blackpool were thumped away at Port Vale 3-0, but the nerves settled a tiny bit. A win at home to Lincoln that was pretty comfortable. Blackpool still eighth, still four points off the playoffs, just as they were before this Christmas uh, period. Bristol Rovers lost to Wickham. Uh, Wickham having 10 men for a lot of this game after winning two in a row in injury time against Portsmouth and Charlton. Uh, so disappointing uh, to kind of lose that momentum. Chris Martin has scored back-to-back -back braces. Uh, Shrews beat Fleetwood 3-1 to stop the rot, having lost uh, all three festive games before them. Uh, Shrews still 13th, still defying logic in so many ways. Uh, 30 points from 26 games with a minus 19 goal difference. Sick. Uh, Port Vale... Great win against Blackpool, then undid all their hard work by losing late to Carlisle 2-1. For Wickham, it was a huge win. Big, big win, uh, that one against Bristol Rovers. After 12 games without one, uh, they moved from 18th to 16th in the last couple of days. Just a little bit of breathing room that was highly necessary. Bloomfield and Wickham have to build on that. Uh, Wigan... Four points since we last spoke. They beat Carlisle, then they drew to Barnsley. This is a good return for, for, for Wigan uh, after a, a slightly concerning run of form. Over the whole festive period, 17th, still 17th. Uh, their equaliser was an absolute beauty from Johnny Smith. Uh, and then the bottom six, George, I find quite interesting at the moment in League One. We've chatted about a couple of the teams at the moment. Uh, Fleetwood are now bottom of the table on 18. Cheltenham and Carlisle on 20. Now, Carlisle got their first win in over two months with an injury time winner against Port Vale. And Cheltenham, first they drew with Reading, 2-2 from 2-0 up. They threw that one away. Then they lost 1-0, a tight one against Northampton, a penalty from Bowie. But at seven points overall, a good festive period. Cheltenham trending upwards. Carlisle need to use that win yesterday as a kind of the jump leads for the rest of the season and, and I dare say some January additions on the way with new ownership looking to uh, walk the walk having talked some pretty good talk uh, but I do think the, the bottom six is quite interesting because most of the teams down there had decent points returns uh, over Christmas uh, the bad news was Exeter really uh, dropping in after a draw against Pompey which is a perfectly good result was followed up by that loss to Reading uh, predictions and a wider overview of League One next week on the pod now we're in League Two where we've got quite a few places to visit before we even get towards the top of the division and see what happened there because only two teams in the EFL had a 100% record over the last couple of weeks, over the last four rounds of fixtures, churning their way through this crazy fixture list, mental and physical fatigue and the waste of expectation. Bolton have done it, as discussed. 
Tranmere Rovers have done it as well. A 100% record over the last couple of weeks. Some billboard victories. And George, a leap of seven places from 21st to 14th. What is Nigel Adkins up to down there? He's got them going, hasn't he? Mm. He has got them going. Whatever they are, he is selling, they are buying in Tranmere. Um, yeah, no, amazing run. I mean, just incredible. If you look at their season as a whole, um, you know, they lost four games on the bounce going into the end of end of October. And we were pretty surprised when Nigel Adkins, after what was a fairly disappointing caretaker spell, was basically given the, the full-time job. Um, but Mark Palios's decision to do so has been fully vindicated with an unbelievable run. Um, through no- November and uh, December, they lost just one game. That was a 1-0 defeat at Walsall. Um, and in this run of four festive victories in a row, um, they put five past Tranmere. They put four past Notts County yesterday, two at Harrogate, who are one of the informed teams in the league. Um, you know, it's it's incredibly impressive what they've done and and you know interestingly for me Notts County this season have been a team where when they come up against some of the poorer teams in the division they generally blitz them you know we saw them do that 3-0 against Donny 5-0 against Morecambe in their two games coming into this one but they've done it pretty consistently over the campaign but against better teams in the league they've struggled you know they were beaten by Stockport well beaten by Mansfield well beaten by Wrexham and so the fact that Tranmere were one of those teams that they really struggled against, uh, even despite being 2-1 up, tells you, I think, a, a bit about Tranmere and what they're doing right now under Nigel, Nigel Adkins. And I know that you in particular, you and Luke Williams, were particularly impressed by Rob the Velociraptor. <laughs> yeah. We're, very rare that you hear a manager be so explicit, but Luke Williams after the game just said, Aptor absolutely killed us. And then paused and went, it's one of the best individual performances I've seen. Uh, so well done Rob Apte he's on loan at Tramir from Blackpool that's the problem for Tramir fans because his performances will be catching the eye in a in a in a year where wide forwards quick dribbly 1v1 specialists with goal threat are all the rage particularly left footers who play off the right because lord knows we've all got a lot of right footers playing off the left uh, very very highly sought after so uh it we don't know what will happen to apter in january but he's so quick real velocity as you say the velocity rob apter um and you know it's been an incredible pickup for them and i think wide areas is where they're having a lot of their joy they seem to be playing with a real attacking front foot mindset you know that very much uh, links in with how Adkins lives his life and how he uses his own experience and that positive mindset to try and positively impact uh, people, whether it was through social media videos or now whatever he's doing, managing this football team. Um, but they're really front-footed. They attack with speed. They look really confident in attacking areas, whether it's taking players on, uh, Apter in particular, or whether it's shooting. You know, Players like Morris and Jennings are on really good goal-scoring form. Uh, Walker in midfield has been a real maestro as well for them. So uh, really, really good stuff. I'm I, I'm a bit worried about squad depth when it comes to Tranmere. It feels like Adkins has done an incredible job getting a group of 11 to 13 players really performing well at the moment. Uh, the next stage will be trying to build that out and making sure that they can be robust uh, across a long period of time. Um, but I mean, I'm seeing fans talking about a playoff tilt. I sort of initially like turned my nose up at it because, you know, I felt like they had such a long way to go, but it's not really the case. League Two's got its own little seeded batch, George, at the moment, where from Wimbledon in seventh on 39 to Morecambe in 17th on 33, it's 11 teams separated by only six points and hence four wins in a row carries you quite a long way, just like it has for Coventry in the championship. So 
it's so exciting because I normally want to rain on parades like that, but I have no issue with Tramway fans looking at the playoffs and thinking that it's still uh, possibly on the cards. And that is one of the exciting parts of how sort of mobile EFL football can be. Um, how about Walsall, who probably took me by surprise most of any team on New Year's Day, that the strongest version of the New Year, New Me uh, phrase in the EFL, with a 6-1 win at Grimsby. That was off the back of a, a 3-1 win a couple of days before. So back-to-back for Matt Sadler's Sadler's. From 15th to 11th, very much part of that gang I just spoke about, from five points off the playoffs to now just three points and a couple of players starring as well. We've banged on loads about Freddie Draper and it's true that he played brilliantly in their first game of of the pair, but he got injured in the 6-1 win. It was others that came to the fore. Not only did Douglas James Taylor and Danny Johnson both score, other strikers that haven't been in the headlines so much this season, but Jack Earing has come back from injury and brought quality to their midfield area. That in turn seems to have unlocked Isaac Hutchinson who is a real baller as well. Exciting week for Walsall. Really exciting. Um, and kind of going back on the manager stuff we were talking about earlier, you know, they've won four and five now and are making their, their way up the table. And another one of these teams who uh, a couple of months ago, a playoff push seems out of the question, whereas right now it looks very much on. But you know, they had a period earlier in the campaign where they won two games in in 12 in the league um, and lost a lot of games. They were beaten 4-0 at Sutton um, you know if we remember they were beaten one at home by Harrogate 2-0 away at Barrow um, and it would have been so easy then for the you know for the the accusations to be levelled at Sadler to make a change you know things aren't working we need someone better to come in and you know we've seen it with, with Wimbledon this season as well where sometimes you know you're rewarded for maintaining the faith in in, in the appointment that you made to start with and, and Sadler now has not only a Walsall playing very well and I said they won four of the last five five of the last six um, but in that six you know they've beaten Wrexham and they've beaten Notts County they've beaten Tranmere who are as we just said are the form team in the league right now they've beaten Crew, who've had a brilliant start to the season and they've gone to Grimsby who under David Artell have been hot and cold it's fair to say like some brilliant performances came come here off the back of a 3-0 away win at Salford 1-0 down and they put six past them like they are trending in the right way to a, a huge degree and uh and yeah and I think it's you know this is for, for those getting kind of trigger fingers um around you know uh, manager appointments and the rest of it this is an example of where just holding a nerve and believing in the appointment that you made can bear fruit and right now Warsaw are absolutely enjoying the the fruits of that and I'm delighted for for them for Sadler I mean it's it's Stockport away next, which I think is a, a pretty good test of where you are. Um, but given they've already beaten Notts County and Wrexham, as I said, there's, there's nothing for them to fear. Oh, baby, you know who's loving life? Gillingham fans. Because what's a great way to respond to uh, failing to win in three without scoring? Winning back-to-back games 1-0 against the team in 23rd and the team in 22nd. Mm. It's August all over again with Gillingham one Nillingham uh, <laughs> And Scott Malone scored an absolute screamer to win their game against Sutton and then a uh, deflected cross to win them their game against Colchester United. So a seven-point return over the four games, pretty decent. Uh, They've gone from 10th to 10th and uh, I I feel a bit bad, but uh, there's someone who tweeted us today saying Clem Ball has arrived and League Two better be afraid. 
And I said, Clem Ball looks eerily similar to Neil Ball. (laughs) (laughs) What was the response to that? Well, someone replied saying, different person, from the lack of output from our forwards, but not the possession-based football, which is generating more shots than we ever had under Harris. Get a proper finisher in and another winger, and this style will find many more goals. Now, I don't hate that. I think the style probably will find many more goals. Uh, In terms of, of the shot data, well, as I said, Sutton and Colchester... Let's let's maybe look at the next few games against Aki, uh, Forest Green, MK, Walsall, Knotts. Let's see if the shot stats uh, remain high. Um, I Yeah, I just, I'm on the fence still. I'm on the fence. Is that bad? I don't know. Colchester. Call you. I need you to talk about Colchester because I hate talking about Colchester. They have consistently made me angry over the last few years in terms of decision making. I think they are one of the worst clubs in England. Uh, they lost both games. Not the world? Maybe the world, but I don't profess to be an expert on world football. Do you profess to be an expert on English football? Mm. <laughs> Three of the leagues. <laughs> um, uh, they beat Salford, didn't they, on the 22nd of December, but then they've lost three in a row, and Matty Etherington has been sacked. So just like Fleetwood, they have sacked their second manager of the season. Six and a half managers. That'll fix it. That will it. Yeah. That'll fix it. Yeah, that's done. That's fine now. Sorted. Sorted. Get that new manager bounce, mm. and then when that finishes... Get yeah, another one. We get a new manager bounce to the caretaker, appoint him, and then when actually it hadn't been the, yeah. the thing that saves everything, then you do it again. Interesting. Go on. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just a, a poor side. Like, they are one of the worst teams in the league. They they won three games on, on the trot under, under Etherington as, as caretaker, which feels like a long time ago. Um, but they, you know, apart from that Salford game, they've, they've basically lost every single one since. It's not good. Um, they've got some talented young players, for sure. Um, but you need more than that. And the fact that Joe Taylor's been recalled by Luton does not help things. He's scored 11 goals this season. Um, you take those goals out of this team, there's very little to get excited by. So um, Tavile's out for another couple of months. The good thing is they go to Swindon on Saturday. Um, that is good. Who, you know, were terrible and have just lost their two best players. They've also been recalled. So um, that really is... the cla- What's the opposite of the Clash, clash of the Titans? Because this is a clash of two teams very much out of form and, and having lost key personnel too is that is that doesn't really roll off the tongue that does it it doesn't no um and i can't think of a of a phrase that doesn't include a swear word in it so I, i'm not going to because we're very clean on this podcast i enjoyed a tweet from uh doug who sports colchester who said the appointment of etherington was the latest in a long line of poor managerial choices by a chairman who ironically made his fortune in the recruitment industry Salford have lost all four games over the festive period. Uh, We spoke about them a couple of days ago because they sacked Neil Wood. Uh, No new manager bounce there. They lost both games 3-0. Mutterings, at least on the ITV highlights, that Ryan Giggs may be their new manager. Uh, Let's talk about it if it happens. Uh, Grimsby lost both games as well, down two places. Uh, A 6-1 defeat to Walsall has people worried. And I feel like spent quite a lot of time criticising fans that call for managers to be sacked off just purely off the base of a few bad results so let me flag up the Grimsby way serious account this George you're going to love it in fact it might be your burner account given that your uh, ties with Grimsby town uh, through your in-laws at the Grimsby way this is going to sound bizarre considering yesterday's result that would be the 6-1 defeat to Walsall but the MK Dons crew Salford and the first 35 minutes against Walsall has me convinced that Artel is the man to get us promoted just need to stay in the league this year and maybe consolidate next season first. Confident that he'll be backed in the summer. So, you know, let's provide the other side where sometimes you have fans 
who laugh in the face of 6-1 defeats. Good. <laughs> yeah. I've seen what I need to see. Fair play at the Grimsby way. Uh, Sw- Swindon, just alarm bells and warning signs flashing and beeping all over the show with Swindon. They've dropped from 12th to 16th over the last couple of weeks. They did get a win over Forest Green thanks to an injury time penalty save, um, but then they were well beaten 3-0 by Crawley. Within 36 hours of the transfer window opening, Dan Kemp has been recalled. Uh, Jake Young has been recalled. Now, the only player that scored for them over the Christmas period was Dan Kemp. He's gone. If you add Young's goals as well, only three goals have been scored by Swindon in the last 13 league games by not Kemp and Young. And this team, even with them in it, has got very used to losing 11 defeats in their last 17 games. It's a big couple of months uh, for Swindon Town. The the good news, clearly, is that they're 15 points above the relegation zone. And that feels like a lot of points uh, with Sutton and, and Forest Green both averaging well under one point per game. But even so... It's it's alarm bells, it's warning signs, it's it's red flags, it's all those things at the moment. And I'm intrigued to see what they will look like in a month's time uh, in terms of their short-term recruitment, but equally what they'll look like come next season. And I am somewhat concerned about the club. At the top of League Two, Mansfield, probably the big winners, weren't they? Uh, on account of their 10 points over the festive period and on account of them beating Stockport in what was a battle between first and second. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge result for them in terms of solidifying their promotion credentials and taking the title race to Stockport, you know, to go to Stockport, who clearly aren't in the same vein of form as they were in when they went on that mazy winning run, um, having uh, dropped points in all of their last three games, all three of them draws, albeit against three of the former teams in the league in Barrow, Bradford and Mansfield. Um, Sorry, two draws, obviously, the, the defeat against Mansfield. Um, but Mansfield were, I mean, it was a game, it, it wasn't vintage Mansfield. It wasn't like we saw them against Grimsby uh, where they, you know, created chances at will. It was a game between two very well-matched sides where it was the finishing of, of Maris and Keeler Dunn that, that won it for them. Um, two players who've been central to this incredible run of form. And yeah, I mean, with Wrexham beating Barrow 4-1 and Mansfield winning this, suddenly that top three looks more top three again. Um, so yeah we'll see but Mansfield certainly throwing the cat amongst the pigeons with those who thought that Stockport were going to run away with the title George Maris standing out as one of the most dangerous attacking central midfielders in League 2 this season seven goals and five assists he's got Keelor Dunn still an absolute gunman uh, with 14 goals and five assists as well and that great take uh, well they both score brilliant goals as well uh, Nigel Clough celebrating 25 years as a manager uh, there was a nice feature on Football Focus just before I came on to make my uh, five minute debut on there and uh, just an excellent manager someone I've got a lot of time and respect for uh, he was a great guest on NTT 20 Meets a couple of years ago as well, actually, Nigel Clough. I really enjoyed spending time with him. Uh, so, more power to him. This Mansfield team are some football team. They've only lost one league game this season out of 24. Stockport, five points from four, so not a big haul for them. Uh, the six-point gap they had at the top is now two points. Uh, the seven-point gap to fourth is six. So, they didn't lose too much ground on that front, but it's injury issues on top of injury issues. It's just getting ridiculous now. Uh, Sam Byrne, who's an excellent uh, reporter who covers Stockport, uh, wrote them all out. Kyle Noyle, Macaulay Southam-Hales, Ethan Pye, Ryan Rydell, Will Collar, Anthony Sarsavik, Miles Hippolyte, Louis Barry and Jack Stretton. That is a pretty good 
starting 11 of outfield players uh, and Ibu Torre now away for the African Cup of Nations as well as Odin Bailey's loan deal finishing this week. So it seems kind of crazy for a team that I've always thought of as having one of the best squads in League Two that now it doesn't really feel like that. Um, they have made an early move in the transfer window. Ethan Bristow in on loan from Minnesota where he's had a tough time after moving from Tranmere. He was, to my eyes, the best left back in League Two last season. So uh, no surprise to see Stockport's excellent recruitment team going and getting him and bringing him back home. Uh, Wrexham, they were a, a winner of the festive season. One win and one defeat since Boxing Day, but nine points overall. They were six points off the top. Now it's two. Uh, there was a one-point gap to fourth, and now it's a four-point cushion. Uh, where are you at with Wrexham at the moment, George? You mentioned a, a big three, with Barrow having dropped from second to fourth over the last couple of weeks. Difficult fixture list. Uh, they played Crew, they played Accrington, Stockport, and Wrexham. Uh, are you happy to say it's a big three now and that the top three is locked in? No, no. The gap is now four. So there, there is, you know, I say that it looks like a big three because there are currently three teams who are clear of the, of the rest. But it's, it's obviously too early to to um, to try and suggest that that is going to be locked in. I think Barrow and, and Notts County in particular deserve massive respect. You know, a big result for Crew uh, last time out. But as I've said multiple times, and apologies to Crew fans, I, I still don't think they are of the requisite quality to, to, to challenge those above them at the moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, Wrexham... Just when you watch how they win games, especially like that, with a 1-0 down against Barrow, against a resolute defence, and you've got Stephen Fletcher who can just, you know, dominate in the air and, and profit from the quality delivery of, of McLean and Ford, it just makes a massive difference. Um, you know, this isn't, to my mind at least, this isn't victory by tactical genius. This is victory by sheer footballing quality and, and know how yeah exactly you know and they've got quality throughout the side it, it, it's rare that you have a team where you've got the ability to get the ball wide and quality delivery into a target man which they've got where you've got the the kind of goal scoring instincts and and fox in the box qualities of someone like paul mullen who also scored an amazing free kick here um and then you've got elliot lee who's a real technician in the middle of the park who can spin out of tight spaces who's a very clever clever player linking up play and scoring goals too it kind of feels like three different football teams in one and all of them are very effective so um yeah they are a very very good football team um who as time goes on look more and more assured of maintaining that top three berth yeah barrow's momentum halted uh i'm not too worried about them they, they had a really tough Group of games, all against top 10 teams. Uh, Key and Spence, Ben Whitfield still in really good goal-scoring form. Uh, yes, they've dropped from second to fourth, but I don't think that necessarily needs to lead to a, a further drop. And I don't think uh, that they are done in this conversation by any means. And Knotts, two wins and two defeats and jumped up a place. I think we kind of know who Knotts are right now. Uh, pumping Donny 3-0, smashing Morecambe 5-0, but also losing 2-1 to Stockport losing 4-2 to Tranmere. There is a certain type of uh, performance level from the opposition, a certain comfort defending against knots, uh, and then being able to attack on the break in particular, which is a bit of kryptonite for them at the moment. So uh, Dan Crowley in good form, and he's pretty close to becoming the first double-double merchant uh, of the EFL season. The favourite is, is Adam Armstrong. He's got 13 goals, nine assists in uh, the championship. But then Crowley, 10 goals, eight assists, Kemp, 14 goals, 8 assists. So Dan Kemp having been recalled by MK uh, and Crowley, both of them need 2 assists to hit a double-double. Crew in 6th, uh, 4 points from 4, but finished with a big win against Bradford. Midfield injury issues 
has led to Captain Luke Offord moving from the back three into midfield. Seems to be working pretty well. I mean, he's having himself a really, really good career best season by miles and still only 24. It's the other young defender, uh, Connor O'Ryden, who's strongly linked to a move away. Uh, Blackburn Rovers seems to be the, the quite poorly kept secret for O'Ryden. Uh, Wimbledon in seventh. They actually had the third best record of any of the top seven teams uh, from pre-Christmas, but... Weirdly, the gap to third is now 10 points rather than eight because of, of Wrexham's good form. And the team in eighth, beneath them, the other side of the dotted line of the playoffs, is level on points with them rather than the one-point gap they had. So kind of an argument that it was an all right points return, but that overall it hasn't really gone in their favour. And it was quite a favourable fixture list too. They beat Crawley, uh, then they lost to Sutton at home. They beat Colu and they drew with Forest Green. Ali Alhamadi and Omar Bugil are off to the Asia Cup. So that's their strike force gone. Uh, and then we just have this big batch of teams, as mentioned, separated by not many points. Uh, MK Dons did lose at Donny when they were gunning for a 100% record, uh, but they have moved from 11th to 8th in this last few weeks. Uh, nine points, really good form from Joe Tomlinson in particular at wingback. And they add one of the best players in the league, Dan, Ke Dan Kemp. Uh, Mike Williamson seems to be very excited to work with him. And it's not hard to see why Kemp wouldn't be a brilliant addition, both in terms of a style and formation, where I think it's fair to say they could upgrade in the number 10 roles from those who've been playing there in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and Kemp should really enjoy himself playing for a, a much more functional football team. Uh, Accrington, four points from their games, one will draw at Barrow, and then a 3-0 win at Salford. I think I'll allow myself to admit that Aki might be a bit under our radar. Mm. I under love our them. radar? Yeah, I think so. I've been talking about them all season. Yeah, what have you been saying? I loved them. Yeah? Bought their points. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, they're good, aren't they? Yes. They, they always seem to have like maybe a kind of a mad injury issue or like one area of the pitch where they just don't have any players. But Coley doesn't really... It doesn't really phase him. He just cracks on no. with a group of a squad of players as ever that have just been bundled together in like various creative ways. Always seems like there's a new player that you, that you don't really know that well playing and performing well for Accrington. And it's just, it's been really fun to see. There's always a player never heard of scoring for Accrington. That's <laughs> what you're trying to say. No, no, I mean, I I think they are, you know, what I just said there about the individuals of Wrexham being so important to, to what they do. I think with, with Accrington, it's kind of the opposite where John Coleman clearly is incredibly good at setting up a team to go out and play a certain way. Um, they are entertaining. They are, um, you know, they their games are fairly end to end. They're not necessarily the most defensively solid, but they are entrusted to play with with real creative freedom, and that lends itself pretty well to to being a, a decent side at the level. I think they're they're really, you know, there's if you're going to be a neutral watching a game in League Two, I think Accrington are right up there with with the best that you could watch. Um, I'm really impressed with them. Mm hmm. Crawley, two wins, two defeats over the period. They beat Jills and Swindon but lost to Milton Keynes and Wimbledon, which probably sums up where Crawley are. Probably not quite playoff level, but not far off it. Uh, Scott Lindsay getting what would have been quite a sweet win against Swindon, playing good football, scoring good goals. Danilo Orsi slightly losing his uh, enjoyment of doing the horsey <laughs> celebration, but he's still doing it. I mean, whether or not he's contractually obliged, I'm not sure, but he's still half-heartedly waving his arms around like he's about to throw a lasso 
He's a cowboy. Uh, and Jack Rolls is, is a new name to watch out for. Not a new name in the FL terms because he's been around for a while. I remember him being on loan at Cambridge from Tottenham and having a decent impact, but it's really struggled since then. Uh, ended up down with, with Woking in non-league, but is now at Crawley, who obviously recruit heavily from non-league and has just started to burst into the first team and scored a brilliant goal here. Uh, Bradford's bubble was burst a little. Five points from four games that the playoffs got a little bit further away. Graham Alexander needs to hit on something either January additions or uh, a more consistent playing style uh, and less reliant on Andy Cook. Harrogate lost to Tranmere and then conceded an injury time equaliser against Morecambe. Uh, seven points still for, for Harrogate, which is a, a good return overall. Uh, and the fact that they are 16 points above the relegation zone, Harrogate. If I told you two months ago Harrogate would be 16 points above the zone on New Year's Day, uh, you'd be baffled. But quite impressed, and their turnaround's been very good. Uh, Tramier, the legends of League Two, we've discussed already. Morecambe, probably another team for whom there are a couple of alarm bells and warning signs blinking at me. Uh, the biggest fallers in League Two, actually, over the Christmas period. From 8th to 17th, two points from four games. And seem to have gone from the Derek Adams style of picking up points, which is to squeeze every last margin, every last inch out of the team, out of the the, the game to just being like quite open and loose and vibesy. And I'm not sure it's the one for them. I'm not sure that's the way they should be approaching things. Uh, I've seen some discussion about various loanees being recalled, given how reliant they have been, particularly going forward on players like Mellon, McKeon, Bloxham. That would be very, very concerning. Uh, Newport, five points. Okay return. Drew with Sutton and crew. Beat Forest Green. Lost to Wrexham. I'd say that's about right and fair for where Newport are at the moment. Graham Cochran keeps digging his players out post-match, which does slightly alarm me. Uh, Donny still incredibly confusing. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, they'd been pumped by Bradford and Notts County. Then they came back with a draw away at Mansfield, highly creditable. And then they smashed MK Dons 3-0, uh, which Ryan, who's a Donny fan on the NTT20 squad, called their best performance in ages. Uh, the bottom two, Sutton and Forest Green, both drew one, lost one. Sutton, five points from safety. Forest Green, six points from safety. But George, you'd have thought out of the two, you know, in order for the League Two relegation battle to be exciting, one or both of these two teams needs to pick up. Sutton still managerless. Forest Green with Deeney. And you'd think FGR probably more able to affect things in the transfer market in January as well. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, <clears throat> but it's interesting because you just said there, you'd, think you'd expect them to have to pick up. And I've said a lot, and we've kind of spoken about how there doesn't seem to be any basket cases in uh, League Two this season. But mm -hmm. I'm wondering if they're kind of emerging now in Colchester and Salford a little bit. Where I mean, we do, just we, needed we, a little bit more time in the oven. We, we, yeah. I mean, with Salford, who knows what's going on there? Because they're clearly, well, it doesn't look like there are like financial issues. It's just a complete inability to effectively get a team to to put in competent performances, despite there being. No shortage of quality in the squad itself. Colchester looked to be, you know, like there is no idea about what to do in order to, to resolve the situation. So maybe they're the ones, in which case it probably wouldn't take that much um, from either Forest Green or Sutton to, to, to bridge the gap. But Forest Green now, in my mind, have put in some pretty good performances in the last couple of games. Um, you know, the, the results haven't necessarily been there. Um, so it's, it's it's too early to get to get too excited about Troy Deeney's Forest Green, but they were pretty good in the one-all draw against AFC Wimbledon yesterday. They were 
pretty good against Swindon where they lost 2-1 yes against a very poor side when you consider how many chances they created in their 19 shots and they had an XG of like 2.7 to Swindon's 0.9 um, they were the better side in that game and, and lost it so a few green shoots from mm. Forest Green I would say under, under Deeney worth keeping an eye on that's what they have for lunch isn't it yes every day <laughs> <laughs> guys thank you so much for listening um, please do support us if you can. Uh, you could either join the NTT20 squad, which is a very active forum of the most passionate EFL fans that exist who give great information and uh, opinions about their squad. And also you could sign up to NTT20.com where we are going to provide the best EFL transfer window coverage that's ever existed. You'll get a daily email with every done deal. Uh, we will have a page on ntt20.com with updated done deals that you can refer to as often as you like, maybe bookmark that, um, but also we'll be providing you plenty of other written coverage as well outside of, of just transfers and for the rest of the season. So uh, do support us if you can heading into 2024. We, we really do, as we often say, have incredible motivation as we head into what is our ninth year, I think, uh, to keep being the best place for EFL fans to enjoy content surrounding those leagues. Uh, that's still our mission statement and we're still working as hard, if not harder than ever, to try and provide that for you. So it's a pleasure to have you along for the ride. Happy New Year. Go well.